A new week, a new podcast, a new episode of Brilliance. I decided to do some live broadcasting on Instagram, and you saw what a lunatic looks like in real time when I did some of the terrestrial radio show nonsense. Uh, Unfortunately, the phone was at the wrong angle, and so you almost got up my nose throughout all of it. But, you know, that's what it is. That's what it is. And so... As always, after I do two hours plus of radio, I get kind of sleepy the next day. So I don't intend for this to be very long tonight. Uh, And tomorrow, I'll give you a double whammy. I didn't have a chance to do it today because the old day job got in the way. But I told you that I was going to put up uh, Steel Nation's interview uh, with me, uh, with Fred Moore, and uh, I didn't have a chance to post that, so I'm going to do it tomorrow. I figured it would, wouldn't be much use to post something like that on a Saturday, so I waited until Monday, and then the old day job got in the way, and that was the end of that. So tomorrow, you will get a double whammy, this podcast, and then also uh, the interview with Fred Moore. So we're starting to see more saber rattling, as we all know, and that is coming out of the Ukraine and Russia. This has to come hot on the heels from the explosions, which are under investigation. It could be aggravated, and what they call it? They call it aggravated sabotage, which means somebody did it on purpose. And what they are trying to do is come up with the story, because Sweden has decided that they're going to basically cordon off a five-kilometer square area around the explosions on Nord Streams 1 and 2, and uh, not let anybody in. Uh, Gee, I wonder what a country like Sweden, who has just brilliant, brilliant subterfuge going on trying to get into NATO, what, what outcome do we think the Swedes are going to tell us? At the same time, the Russians said, oh, by the way... It really doesn't look like Nord Stream is completely cut off because we've got additional pipelines. We've got backup pipelines that should be okay to bring in energy to Germany. Oh, sorry, NATO. That is going to put a wrinkle in everybody's, uh, I don't know. What What do you get wrinkles in? You're going to get your panties in a bunch. You're going to get your panties in a bunch. So this is starting to really take off, and this is the escalation between Russia and NATO. Now, today, everybody is talking about, or if I'm talking about it, give it a day or two. They're talking about, oh, Russia has decided to launch its Belgorod nuclear submarine, which is really a revamped Oscar-class submarine, which isn't new. So what does make this submarine unique is that it is capable of carrying six 100-megaton Poseidon nuclear torpedoes, and those torpedoes literally have a range of across the planet because they are nuclear-powered These things are enormous, if you're to believe what they're coming out with. And for reference, for reference, we'll look up Hiroshima's, uh, what do we want to call it, Uh, Megaton. Let's see what that was about. So how big was Hiroshima? Hiroshima was 15 kilotons. So we're now talking about 100 megatons. 
So what's the difference between a kiloton to megaton? I don't know my uh, metric system all that well. Kiloton uh, to megaton. Megaton. Okay. One kiloton of TNT is 0.001 megaton. So let's do 100 megatons. Okay. So if we're to, that's 100,000 kilotons of TNT. 100,000 kilotons. Now let's do it in another way. Kiloton to pound. How do we do that? Let's look this up. I don't have time for that. Anyway, you get the idea. It's a lot. It is a lot. And so they're starting to really push this kind of story that all of a sudden the Belgorod submarine just went dark. They fired it up and supposedly satellites over Russia picked up on the ignition switch of the Belgorod submarine at its port. And then all of a sudden it submerged itself and it disappeared. Well, that's exactly what submarines of this type are supposed to do. You're not supposed to be able to track them. Now, this, was, this is what makes this submarine so frightening to the warmongers. And I suspect that these warmongers are going to try and use this to their advantage, much, much like they tried to use climate uh, change and climate all the climate nonsense, the Green New Deal, all that crap, to inflict more control upon you, just like they tried to do COVID and, do, and, and you know, inflict more control upon you in that regard, whatever. So the submarine's torpedoes uh, can reach 54 knots, which is an immense speed. And I wouldn't be surprised if it has a little cavitation device on the front of it. So what that does is it basically creates a lot of bubbles. And so once it creates a lot of bubbles, that means that the torpedo is no longer going through water. It's going through air. In other words, it essentially makes it a submersible missile. That's the type of speed we're talking about here. The torpedo can operate at 1,000 meters, so 3,000 feet below the surface. That's an enormous depth. Now, being that it can carry up to 100 megatons. Now, here's the, here's the other problem with this story. They're saying that the Poseidon torpedo could carry between 2 and 100 megatons. Well, that's like saying you were going to get an inch to 10 inches of snow. I mean, it's, that's a wide range. It's a very large margin of error. So let's. So I think there's some fear mongering going on here. So let's. Okay. So 100 megatons. That's what it's going to be. So if they were to detonate this thing near a city like New York, it would kill at least 2.5 million, injure another 5 million, and potentially disperse radiation as far as Quebec. Nobody likes the Quebec oil anyway, so no big loss there. They do have good crepes up there, though. I will give them that. And gin. They've got a fantastic gin industry up in Kanakistan. Uh, so if you're ever there, go to one of the stores, look at their gin section. It's stunning. I had no idea that Canada had such a wide variety of Canadian gins that are very good. So do that at any point in your time. Uh, anyway, going back to this devastating torpedo, uh, the f there could be a 500-meter radioactive tidal wave. In other words, 1,500 feet tidal wave. It could plunge Britain into the depths of the ocean. And uh, being that it is that large, guess what? You're basically going to wash Britain out. And at the same time, if you're going to do that, then you're also going to inflict damage upon 
France, the Netherlands, and so on and so forth. If you do it by the United States, if they're potentially targeting uh, New York, then they're going to wipe out New York City. No big loss there. Uh, at, at one point, I would have said that would have been sad, but not anymore. Too many, too many uh, liberals out there. So now, here's the thing: this is extreme warmongering because the only people that are talking about nuclear weapons being used are people in the West and the Nazis in the Ukraine. That's it. Nobody else is talking about using nuclear weapons. The Russians say that if nuclear weapons are used against us, then we're going to use nuclear weapons. But the West flips it around and says, oh, the Russians are going to do it first. They're going to do a first strike capability. And we've got none other than retired general and director of the CIA, former director of the CIA, David Betraeus. Uh, this is the guy that was gallivanting around with the honeypot uh, a couple of years ago, um, and he's got a weird mush. He's got a weird face. It looks like he's been he he had a vacuum attachment sucking on his lips. They're, they're just weird and bizarre, and he's got this this weird kind of I don't know folds around his mouth, around his muzzle. Looks weird i have met the man uh once but he wouldn't know me from adam i mean if you walked up to him and said, you met chris michaels and he'd be like who what who's who's that clown he uh i was at a dinner and i met him one time uh very nice uh, i mean i you know nothing to really report other than i shook his hand and that was it so that is my claim to fame as far as petraeus is concerned but he's out there on this week with abc and he said with Jonathan Carl, hmm, I wonder uh, where he comes from. He goes, we would respond if the Russians were to use nuclear weapons by leading a NATO, a collective effort that would take out every Russian conventional force that we can see and identify in the Ukraine and in Crimea and take out every ship in the Black Sea. Would you? And if you did all those things, Petraeus, do you think that the United States would end that conflict unscathed? I somehow doubt it. And he goes, this would be such an horrific response that it could not go answered if the Russians decided to use some kind of nuclear weapon in the Ukraine. So the reason why he's saying this is because some blowhard in Russia decided to say, actually one of the Chechens um, in southern Russia, who's now going into the Ukraine, uh, they said that, oh, well, uh, we should be using low-yield tactical nukes on the Ukrainians. Oh, the, the Russians themselves immediately came out and said, no, we've got no intentions on using nuclear weapons here. This is all rhetoric and, and idiocy, so just ignore it. Uh, probably. So we should probably ignore Petraeus as well. But he is saying, basically, you don't want to get into a nuclear escalation, but you want to show force in such a way where they are incapable of basically eliciting any sort of response. So they're trying to really gin up the rhetoric here. I mean, this reminds me of World War One and World War Two. If you read any sort of periodicals from World War Two, if you read any speeches from the day, no matter what side you're reading it on, if you're reading Mussolini's speeches, Hitler's speeches, uh, Chamberlain's speeches, um, you, you know, Roosevelt's speeches, they're all talking about the same thing. They all do the same thing. 
they posture, they bluster, they, uh, they, they really try to ramp up the rhetoric, they don't negotiate, and it's all to get into a war. Why do they want to get into a war, and why are they funding the Ukraine with tens of billions of dollars every single week? It's because the house of cards is about to collapse. The economy is about to go under. So the only way out of this is to start another world war so that they can default on the debt and they can say, well, sorry, there was a world war going on, so we can't worry about all that debt. And the other part of this is that you hear rumors of people trying to instigate a civil war in the United States so that they can call off the midterm elections because the Democrats know that those elections, if they were to be held fairly, would definitely go down to the Republicans winning that stuff. So the only way out of it, they can't cheat again because it's so, or maybe they can. I mean, it's so obvious and blatant at this point. Could you could you do that again in two consecutive election cycles? Maybe. But they'd really have to control the media. And that's the other thing that you're seeing here. The mainstream media and places like Google, they are trying to solidify the official government narrative, and they don't want anybody questioning it. This comes from the UN's Undersecretary General for Global Communications. I mean, how many more syllables can you add to a useless title like that? Anyway, Melissa Fleming was speaking to none other than some stooge from the World Economic Forum and the United Nations and said she was horrified and mortified that if she did a Google search about climate change, it wasn't showing the official narrative. And she said, well, we partnered with Google to make sure that the United Nations official lines were the first things that show up when you talk about climate change. And she even went on to say, we own the science, the United Nations, and we think that the world should know it, and the platforms themselves also do. Now, my question to you is, why would the United Nations want to team up with a company, company in quotes, because it's really run by the Department of Defense, like Google? What are they trying to do? They don't want you to question the narrative, because the narrative is going to turn into, you're the bad person. You need to be controlled. You need to make sure that you don't emit so much carbon that the world is going to come to an end. Pretty sure it's not me or you that is the problem here. Pretty sure it's all of those big companies that don't restrain themselves, that are doing things that are pretty icky for the environment and other human beings. And those people should be the ones, and those corporations should be the ones that are restrained. But you'll never really hear that. And so what is the other option to all of this? Not only do you have to control the narrative, and you see more and more of this through Google, through Facebook, through Instagram, and all that stuff, but now, on top of that, you're now starting to see a very, very dangerous game being played. Because what have they done? They are now, and then this has to do with COVID, right? This is going to do with COVID. They've discovered, this is Jacob Wallace, 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 Paul Goldsmith Pinkham, and Jason Schwartz. Gosh, I feel like I should be in a deli somewhere ordering pastrami. Excess death rates for Republicans and Democrats during the COVID-19 pandemic. 
And this is on nber.org, National Bureau of Economic Research. What did we find here in this study? Why, it turns out that Republican states had more excess deaths after COVID mandates than Democrat states. Now, now go with me on this. These were done, uh, basically they observed Ohio and Florida voter registration. And what happened was they observed the overall excess death rate for Republicans, and they found it was 5.4 percentage points or 76% higher than the excess death rates for Democrats. Post-vaccines, the excess death rate gap between Republicans and Democrats widened from 1.6 PPs, 22% for the Democrats, and to 10.4, 153% of the Democrat excess death rate. In other words, a lot more Republicans died. And what are they going to do to supplement those deaths? They're going to import people from South and Central America. So that now they have a whole new barrel of voters that they can access. I've never heard the phrase barrel of voters before. But they've got all of these new voters that are going to be given amnesty. That are now suddenly going to be able to vote at local and state levels. Oh, goodness, I wonder what's going to happen with that. Could those people be forced to vote for the Democrats? Could that be the case? I think so. This is a very disturbing and dastardly plan, if you think about it. They're literally killing blocks of voters, or, in my assumption, they gave the most dangerous vaccines lots uh, to Republican states so that they lose voting power, so that they literally die out, and they reinforce uh, Democrat states and also start shipping all of the illegal immigrants to the Republican states to start turning those red states into purple states and ultimately blue states. Hello, Arizona. It's an extremely disturbing plan. I mean, you're talking about Dr. Mengele Nazi stuff. But are we surprised at this point anymore that we have to deal with extreme propaganda? And thankfully... Donald Trump, I don't know if you heard this, he's finally suing CNN for slander and libel. He wants a half, oh, not a half, but $475 million from CNN. They called him racist, Russian lackey, insurrectionist. Ultimately, they called him Hitler. I mean, you you remember what happened over the past six years. It's ridiculous. And th- I hope, I hope he takes them to the cleaners because they are scum. Every last one of them, they are just scum. They don't care about what is good for this country. They don't care about the truth. They only care about winning elections. If it if the law needs to be broken to get Trump out of office or to make sure he never runs again, then these assholes will be sure enough to do it. And they don't care. They don't care. And so we can't play by the same rule book. Or maybe we have to start playing by the same rule book to drum these anarchists out of existence. But here's the funny part. Here's the funny part. Barack Obama, this is from Slay News, basically said, and this is from a, uh, a secret meeting shortly after he left office, where he was talking with certain Bloomberg reporters 
and other uh, other reporters about what went on between Trump and Clinton in 2016. And for what it's worth, Barack Obama said Trump was never a bad guy. He was always very cordial to me. And Hillary Clinton's biggest issue was that she didn't visit enough states. She thought she had it in the bag. She believed her own bullshit. And so what happened? She lost the election. And he doesn't really say anything bad. This is from a Freedom of Information Act request. That's how we found it. But that's he doesn't say anything that bad about Trump. So he even, in a way, compliments him. He goes, I think his basic view when it comes to foreign policy, his formative view of foreign policy is shaped by his interactions with Malaysian developers and Saudi princes. And I think his view is, I'm going to go around the world making deals. But it's not let me launch big wars that tie me up. And that's not what his base is looking for anyway. Well, he's right. And guess what? That's exactly what Trump did. He didn't reinforce the world war paradigm where we have to go gallivanting off into some country and make it even worse. But it's interesting to see a different perspective. And I hope people start to understand that, especially on the left, especially on the left, they have to start understanding that Barack Obama isn't some arch-liberal that is against Trump, because it's not the case. I mean, the media may try to slant it that way, but that's not what happened. He even said his interactions with me uh, are very different than they are with the public, or for that matter, interactions with Barack Obama, the distant figure. He's very polite to me and has not stopped being so. I think he, where he sees a vulnerability, he goes after it and takes advantage of it. And the fact of the matter is, is that the media is not credible in the public eye. I mean, fine. I mean, this is the first time I remember agreeing with Barack Obama. You have a bigger problem with a breakdown in institutional credibility. And guess what? He's right about that, too. So I think this little thing, if it actually makes any sort of headway in the mainstream media is going to give Barack Obama a little bit of a problem because there are also rumblings that Hillary Clinton is going to start running for president too again. God, I hope not. Or maybe I do. I Maybe I hope she does run again so that she can fail once more. Um, but I think Barack Obama is going to be done for. He's, he's too deep into all of this, especially after 2020 and what's going on now because we all know it's Barack Obama behind all of this, the community organizer. No, the anarchists behind it, renegade behind it. That's what's going on right now. Okay, so the first podcast of the week. This is the last call podcast with Chris Michaels. Uh, if you, as always, never, ever, ever is it a short one. I never stick to one story. You know what to do. Watch out for that podcast with Fred Moore and Steel Mace Nation. Tomorrow, you can find it. I will post it on Truth Social, on uh, where else? On Twitter, and I'll, and I'll post it on Instagram, but you probably won't be able to click on the link, but you can actually see my glorious face. And you can see the inane ramblings of a lunatic up on Instagram, too. Hair tousled, and uh, that's okay, because I, I did what I did and tweaked liberal nipples at the station. So that's what just what had to happen. As always, you can like me, find me, and share me.